Hello, everyone. This is Father Bill Nicholas, and this is Faith, Hope, and History. Greetings and welcome, everybody. It is Friday, February 16th, 2023. It was on this day in 1862 that Union General Ulysses S. Grant, during the American Civil War, captured Fort Donelson on the Cumberland River. It was this and a previous victory against Fort Henry a few days earlier that got the attention of Abraham Lincoln, in which he saw that, unlike some of his other generals, Ulysses S. Grant was a general who could fight. And while there were uh, pressures put on Lincoln to relieve General Grant of command due to his drinking. It is of General Grant that Lincoln commented, I can't spare this man, he fights. But as of today, the Friday following Ash Wednesday, we are now in the first days of the season of Lent 2024. And it's a season in which we spend 40 days and then some preparing to celebrate the 50 days of Easter. Easter is not just one day, but 50 days from Easter to Pentecost. Such an important event as the resurrection of Jesus takes us 50 days to celebrate and 40 plus days to prepare. And we do it with our 40-day retreat. I always like to comment rather jovially in the experience I've had of people who often like to come to me with their newfangled ways of celebrating Lent, that uh, Lent is, a, is really a, a time in which Catholics can show their true colors in terms of the seriousness and the substance of their Catholicism. I always like to say that uh, Lent is a time when Catholics do one of two things, and there really is no gray area. They either make sacrifices or they make excuses. They either show what great Catholics they are or what great lawyers they are. Because they either engage in the practices and the sacrifices or they find every reason why they don't do it or they won't do it because they don't want to do it. And a lot of it comes from more a spirituality of doing, which I think most Catholics engage in than we realize, more than we realize, is the spirituality of doing. And in the last few weeks I've been preaching on it and thinking about it myself, that we need as Catholics to move away from doing and more to a spirituality of pondering. It's the difference we see between Martha and Mary in the gospel. Martha is doing, Mary is pondering, and Jesus says Mary has taken the better part. Granted, there are much things that need to be done, and there are many important things that we do as a Catholic church. But it is important that we don't just simply do things for the sake of doing, but that we ponder what we do and why we do it. I wonder if that's why so many people left the Catholic church after the Second Vatican Council, and why so many people today still have struggles with the reforms of the Second Vatican Council. I think a lot of the people left, and a lot of children even down to today when they grow up, leave the Catholic faith that their parents tried to raise them in. It's because we are a people with a spirituality of doing. We follow the rules. We do what Catholics do. But how often do we really ponder why we do them, the benefits, in which for, the benefits that it brings us, uh, the reasons we do things, the tradition behind them, not just simply following rules, and upholding standards, but what it means for us as a people of faith and what we hope to bring about in our practice of that faith. And when the young people grow up, leave home, they stop doing it because they don't see any purpose in continuing to do it or they simply don't want to do it anymore. But those of a substantial faith who truly ponder that faith, 
Then we see people who do more than just doing, but they come to understand and appreciate what it is we do because they've pondered why we do it. And when we are called to do it, they enter into these practices. And Lent is one of those times in which we do many things. It is a traditional time of our faith every year. But why do we do these things? Well, let's first ponder on the 40 days. Lent is our 40-day retreat before we celebrate Easter. And of course, the number 40 we see reflected many times in the scriptures. And our 40 days is reflective of that. There are periods of 40 all throughout the scriptures. Noah's flood lasted 40 days. Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days. The spies were scouting Jericho for 40 days. The Israelites were in the desert for 40 years. Elijah's journey to Horeb through the desert was 40 days. From the resurrection to the ascension, 40 days. And as he began his ministry, Jesus spent in the desert a total of 40 days. And that is the, I guess you could say, image we keep in mind during the season of Lent. But not just the 40 days of Jesus in the desert, but also the 40 years of the people of Israel in the desert. And the 40 days of Lent comes very much from a desert spirituality, if you will. Spending time in a harsh climate, relying on God to give us the grace and strength to make it through that period of trial, of struggle, of penance, and of discipline. Most people do not live in a desert, and even fewer in a desert like Sinai, which is where the Hebrew people traveled during those 40 years. So how do we relate to a spirituality defined by the desert? Well, the desert was an experience as well as a place. It was an experience of spiritual dryness. And it parallels the burst of enthusiasm at the beginning of the book of Exodus and the Exodus from Egypt, when the people were so excited about finally being freed from slavery, and it quickly deteriorated to intense complaining and difficulty and short-temperedness on the part of the Hebrew people. Between the Red Sea and Mount Sinai alone, before they even received the Ten Commandments, the people were complaining and wanting to go back to Egypt. The desert is a difficult place to live. For the Hebrews, it was a period of teaching and learning, a time of rest and refreshment before a new beginning in the promised land. And often, in this harsh desert, the people simply went in circles until they reached the promised land. In many ways, it was a 40-day rest from the labors of slavery, but at the same time, it was an intense period of formation before the next transition in their identity as an established nation with a covenant with God. The process of the desert was a process of realization that God was with them during the entire journey and that he is present to them. He journeyed with the people. He had the, has the ability to transcend place and to go with them wherever they were, provided for their needs, and he protected them. He provided for them, but he did not provide luxury. It was in the desert that the people became a united people, a Hebrew nation. It was during that desert experience. The concept of community emerged in the desert. They realized their responsibility to provide for others, the virtue of hospitality, 
providing for one's, uh, one another's needs, and that the way to survival was not only depending on God, but depending on one another. The way to survival was community. We certainly see that sense of community after difficult times or tragic occurrences in our nation. After Pearl Harbor, September 11th, tragedies that bring about trying times that unite people, the desert was a difficult experience that united the Hebrew people of God. And the people who died in the desert died because they would not let go of the slavery of the past. An entire generation had to be consumed by the desert. And anyone who had any memory of slavery was not permitted into the promised land, except Joshua and Caleb. Their faith in God and of his promise was was very strong. But because the people kept wanting to go back to slavery, that's what they remembered. That's where they were comfortable. God then declared that all those with a memory of slavery, including Moses, including Aaron and Miriam, Moses' brother and sister, could not enter the promised land. And when the people died in the desert, they died because of a lack of faithfulness. But the desert saw the emergence of a newly formed people, but also the emergence of the priestly class of Levi. The cult of worship of Yahweh within this covenant was formed and emerged from the desert experience. The liturgical life emerged out of the desert experience. It was also a period of purification. Israel learned deliverance and the covenant in the desert. So the desert is a place of hardship, danger, and death. One struggles for existence. One would not choose to live in the desert, but people are driven into the desert as necessary for the spiritual life. If you read the Gospels, and particularly in the Gospel of Mark, it says that Jesus is driven into the desert where he confronts temptation. Death looms, but the Hebrews found life in the desert. They found God among them. The desert became a place where God could be found. Elijah found God in the desert. Instead of a killing place, the desert becomes a privileged place of contact. And God is discovered as the God above all gods in the desert. And not only is God present, but the people have a personal experience with God because God delivers and provides, constantly saving them from danger. But God only gave them what they needed, and God only gives us what we need. His nourishment is there if one avails oneself to it. The desert is, of course, an experience that is physical and spiritual, a struggle that is physical and spiritual. It tests and disciplines, and these tests and disciplines are a sign of God's love. Like a parent who loves a child will still discipline that child to help form the child. And God sends the temptations to help us know where our hearts are and as a means of refreshing that goal. We gradually come to a recognition that God is in control. And in the desert, in learning to trust God, we learn patience. There's not always immediate gratification. The desert becomes easier, however, when we allow God to be in control. If we accept this call to holiness, 
We sense repentance for what we have done and reconciliation with God. All this as God establishes a covenant with the people in the desert. With faith, we learn obedience and experience that love of God. We come together as a community. There's a conscious identity as a people of God with a liturgical worship that emerges as we become a compassionate, worshiping, united people, as the Hebrews did from their journey through the desert. And the concept of journey is that this is a process to be committed to in order to get to the promised land. And we engage in that desert experience during the season of Lent. Now, there are four major periods which reflect the desert experience. First, we have the scriptures, phase one. We hear the desert experience through the Psalms, with the prophets, and is even spoken of in wisdom literature. Silence and solitude, the harshness and the intimacy with God. The prophets were seen as being formed in the desert. Moses, Elijah, the entire people of Israel were formed in the desert. Jesus prepares for his public ministry in the desert. And even prophets like Hosea remind the people of their being lured into the desert and in God's reconciling with his unfaithful people. Hosea says, I will lure her back into the desert and speak tenderly to her heart. The desert is where we experience God, his formation, and even his reconciliation. And I'm reminded of uh, the narration in the Cecil B. DeMille film, The Ten Commandments. At the point in the movie where once Prince Moses, who walked the halls of the Pharaoh's palace, who built a city in Pharaoh's honor, who was on the verge of being declared Pharaoh's heir, has now been disgraced and denounced as not only a Hebrew, but the predicted deliverer who would free the slaves, and he is now expelled from Egypt alone with nothing but a, a, a garment that his mother wove for him, a staff, and a few days' worth of food. And as Moses leaves Egypt alone in the desert, we see this transition time in the story of Moses that really reflects, I think, in the narration, the spirit of the desert spirituality and how God uses the desert to form his people and his prophets. And let me quote from that uh, portion of the Ten Commandments. The narrator speaks of Moses. Into the blistering wilderness of Shur, the man who walked with kings now walks alone. Torn from the pinnacle of royal power, stripped of all rank and earthly wealth, a forsaken man without a country, without a hope. His soul in turmoil, like the hot winds and raging sands that lash him with the fury of a taskmaster's whip, he is driven forward, always forward, by a God unknown toward a land unseen. Into the molten wilderness of sin, where granite sentinels stand as towers of living death to bar his way. Each night brings the black embrace of loneliness. In the mocking whisper of the wind, he hears the echoing voices of the dark. 
his tortured mind wondering if they recall the memory of past triumphs or wail foreboding of disasters yet to come or whether the desert's hot breath has melted his reason into madness. He cannot cool the burning kiss of thirst upon his lips, nor shade the scorching fury of the sun. All about is desolation. He can neither bless nor curse the power that moves him, for he does not know from where it comes. Learning that it could be more terrible to live than to die, he is driven onward through the burning crucible of desert where holy men and prophets are cleansed and purged for God's great purpose. Until at last, at the end of human strength, beaten into the dust from which he came, the metal is ready for the maker's hand. A powerful narration from the Ten Commandments that encompasses the desert experience as God forms his holy people, not the least of which are his prophets. And these prophets become future-oriented in their preaching. God will call his people back to the desert to reform and renew them. Hosea chapter 2, verse 16. I will lure her into the desert and speak tenderly to her heart. Amos in the desert you will worship authentically. Go back into the wilderness, be purified, and re-emerge. Jeremiah speaks of a new covenant that will emerge. The wilderness is seen as a graced experience. Ezekiel, God's Spirit will recount, reconnect the dry bones and give them life in the valley of the dry bones. The Psalms focus on our sinfulness and move us to reconciliation and repentance. They want us to be moved from the desert to purification and reconciliation. In Psalm 73, it speaks of the sinfulness of ancestors. In Psalms 105, 135, and 136, the psalmist provides a positive reflection on the desert experience. And in Psalm 23 and 77, God is the shepherd leading us through that valley of darkness. The books of wisdom, and particularly the book of wisdom, give a theological reflection on Israel's history. Chapters 10 to 16 of the book of wisdom are a reflection on the desert. Discipline is a sign of mercy. Even in the desert's harshness, God is there to protect, and God's messenger comes to the desert, and the Messiah appears in the desert. In the New Testament, the Gospel according to Matthew presents Jesus as the new Exodus, he quotes, out of Egypt I have called you. Jesus is the new Moses, who gives the new law, and he goes into the desert to be tempted. St. Paul sees us as slaves to sin, and we must pass through the desert to be converted to the will of God. The first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, the wilderness is a place of transformation. Paul puts the theme of Passover into Christian theology that great event of the Exodus that eventually led the people through the Red Sea into the desert. The letter to the Hebrews warns not to put God to the test. The author sees the desert as a graced experience. So what are these themes that we see, these key themes in the desert experience? Obedience to God, who's the spiritual director and the director of one's conscience. Humility, 
an awareness of one's need for God and, and an awareness of one's sinfulness. Gentleness and compassion because of the growth of the community as they're formed in the desert. Magnanimity, the willingness to share what few possessions they had for the good of the community to make it through that desert. Simplicity, not relying on luxury, but on what God provides as we share excess with others. A willingness to change. To change our lifestyles. To change from sinfulness and death to grace and life. And a key virtue in the desert is hospitality. Even if it put one at risk, it would, put, it would test the spirit of the visitor and the one being visited. But since we do not have the desert, we develop a number of aestheticisms that allow us to create the desert experience wherever we are. We have retreat houses in which we give our obedience to our spiritual directors. Retreat houses designed to lead us to conversion, reconciliation, acceptance of God's mercy, and then lead us into an intimacy of God. And we have periods such as Lent, in which through our practices, our penances, our disciplines, and our observances, Lent becomes our annual desert experience as we prepare to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. God forms us year after year as we prepare through acts of penance. We are purified of our sins through the sacrament of reconciliation and confession. We grow closer to God as we recognize the gifts he has given to us and turn to him in times of temptation, which we invite by giving something up for Lent. Out of love for God, we offer to him gifts of our Lenten sacrifices and come to take them and the love of God less and less for granted. We are called to forgive one another as we turn to God for forgiveness, thereby building up both our relationship with God individually and with one another as church. We grow stronger as a people, as a community of faith, called to renew our covenant with God, to renew our call to be heralds of his good news of salvation, to be forged and formed into his people, his chosen, and his redeemed. That is how we create the desert experience during the season of Lent. We let God draw us into the desert and we create that desert. And how do we do that? We engage in Lenten sacrifice, our gift of God's gifts. And that will be the topic of next week's podcast as we continue our journey through Lent, coming to the end of our first full week of our Lenten journey. If you'd like and have the chance, please go to my YouTube channel where I have, as a playlist, daily reflections on the season of Lent, Monday through Saturday reflections. Hope you find them beneficial, and I hope this 
presentation made sense to you and that help helps you to enter more fully and substantially into the spirit of this Lenten season so that we can move from a spirituality of simply doing to a spirituality of pondering. And so thank you for listening. And with any luck, I will talk to you again soon. Thank you.